Yo, yo, welcome to another episode of the Forum Club. I'm your host, Yovan Buha, Lakers beat writer for The Athletic. On today's episode, I want to dig into the coaching search, which is in full force right now, Russell Westbrook's future, and the possibility of him staying, as well as, to me, the silly rumors and speculation of the Lakers trading LeBron and or AD. Let's start first with the coaching search. The Lakers have been linked to as many as 13 candidates already. I'll quickly read through them. Nick Nurse, Quinn Snyder, Darvin Ham, Terry Stotts, Charles Lee, Jawan Howard, Kenny Atkinson, Adrian Griffin, Alex Jensen, Steve Clifford, Doc Rivers, Scott Brooks, and Mark Jackson. And that is a wide, I mean, not only is it a wide range, literally with with 13 candidates, but it is a wide range of experience and expertise. You have a couple of championship coaches in Nurse and Rivers. You have a coach in Mark Jackson who has not coached in almost a decade. Uh, you, You have several retreads on there, Steve Clifford, Terry Stotts, Kenny Atkinson. You have some high-level assistant coaches who have been waiting for an opportunity to be a head coach in Darvin Ham, Charles Lee, Adrian Griffin, Alex Jensen. Uh, you, you really have uh, another retread, Scott Brooks. Like You really have a, a array of, of candidates. And really, the, the one thing we know uh, about what the Lakers are looking for And I think it was clear with the way that the season ended. It was clear with uh, all that I heard coming out of the the Frank Vogel situation, all that was reported. And really, if you just read between the lines of some of the things players were saying, it it did feel, you know, like Frank somewhat lost the locker room by the end of the season. I don't think that is a, you know, it's not breaking news. That's not a surprise. And I, you know, to, to me, it was telling that even though he qualified this statement with saying that it was not a reflection of Frank Vogel and, and, and the job that he had done, uh, I think there was something to Rob Polinka saying that we need a strong voice in the locker room that can inspire players to play at the highest level of competition every night. And again, he he he, qual- he tried to qualify it and say it's not a reflection of Frank, but. I think any you know it's like saying you know no disrespect. Usually when you when you have to preface it with that, you follow up with a disrespectful statement, and it, it did you know because because Frank clearly you know X's and O's wise I think is uh, at a high level at least on the defensive end. But I mean this team was not good defensively, and and I think it was clear that there was was not a high level of buy in from the players. So to me. You know, having Rob Polinka say they need a strong voice, uh, and that holding everyone accountable from the, the top of the team to the fifteenth man, I think that to me is you know they're looking for someone with a a strong voice, a, a player's coach, someone with gravitas. Uh, that 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 is like you know at the top of their list in in, in terms of what they're looking for. Uh, Polinka also said it's going to be a very methodical process, which we we've seen it's already been uh, over a month now. And the Lakers don't have a new head coach. They've again been linked to thirteen candidates. They've already interviewed, you know, seven, eight of those candidates. 
uh, and they don't have an end date for their hiring, but the goal is to have someone imply, uh, employed rather uh, by the June 23rd NBA draft, which would give them at least a week to prepare for the start of free agency uh, on June 30th. And one of the things with that too is that uh, Plinka did say he wants to work with the new head coach with building the roster. And I think that was a mistake from this past season where they built a roster that did not uh, cater to Frank Vogel's strengths. And, you know, th- there was, it was a lot of offensive minded guys, a lot of guys who were defensive liabilities. And, you know, especially with the Russ deal, like that, it just, it, I think it's set. I don't think Frank did the best job possible, but I also think he was somewhat set up for failure with, with the roster that was built of a bunch of old dudes and a bunch of dudes who couldn't play defense. And so I think really like, you know, the, the Lakers are going to make some moves this, this off season and, and potentially trading Russell Westbrook and uh, using their taxpayer mid-level exception and, and bringing in someone that way. Uh, and I, I think, revamping the the back end of the rotation and and i think likely going younger but we'll, we'll see uh but really the the head coaching hire is what is going to set the culture set the identity and we'll see how much power they they give this coach you know what what years they offer how much money they offer the autonomy with, with picking the staff and and how you know can this coach bench Russell Westbrook if, if the Lakers end up keeping Russ? Uh, you know, h- how much power does he actually have? Are they going to treat him like the head coach of a, a you know an elite franchise, or are they going to uh, you know hold you know hold his hand and, and micromanage and do some of the things that they did with Frank Vogel that really is rare across the league, or or you might see with like a rebuilding fran- you know, either a, a bad owner or a rebuilding franchise that has like a first year head coach that, you know, they're, they're trying to help shape him. But that was not the case with Frank Vogel. He, he'd been coaching for, you know, a decade. He won a championship with them. Like, and, and there was still all this interference last season. So I'm really interested to see where, th- where things go. I, I do think the Lakers have learned to some extent. I, I don't think they're fully going to be hands off, but uh, again, we'll, we'll see with, who they ultimately hire and, and, and sort of what comes from that. But I'm doing a, a ranking piece for the athletic. I don't want to spoil the piece and give you my one to, to 13 ranking, but I think I do want to get into like Nick nurse and Quinn Snyder to me are indisputably the, the top two uh, candidates. And I think, you know, they're both unrealistic, but I, I would say that, you know, like Nick Nurse to me is is a top five coach at worst in the NBA. He, similar to Steve Kerr's impact in Golden State, he came in and modernized Toronto's approach on both sides of the ball. He's an out-of-the-box thinker, X's and O's whiz, clear communicator. And to me, he'd be worth a first-round pick and possibly a second-round pick. Uh, I mean, possibly a second first-round pick. I think he's at that level of a coach. And, uh, you know, I guess the last guy that maybe got this level of praise was Brad Stevens, right? And uh, I think that situation ultimately wasn't fruitful in Boston, but I I would counter that, hey, Nick Nurse won a championship. And uh, part of that was the brilliance of Kawhi. And that was a really good, deep Toronto team. And, um, you know, 
uh, so like it's not all on nurse, but he pushed all the right buttons and, and, you know, I, I think he's, he's smart with his rotation. Uh, again, he'll throw a box in one, he'll throw a three, two zone. Uh, he'll, he'll get funky defensively. Uh, he, he, you know, loves to play th- those lineups with guys, you know, six, six to six, nine. And, and part of that's a roster construction thing, but, but also I don't think every coach would, would play lineups like that necessarily, even if they had those tools. Uh, you know, like I, I feel like you could see, similar things in uh it in philly and you you weren't really seeing that consistently uh and, and we'll get into philly a, a little later but to me nick nurse is uh the top candidate and i i don't you know masai ujiri came out and, and said he isn't going anywhere and all indications are that he is going to be staying in toronto but if he somehow is available the lakers have to do whatever they can to get him and the, the one wild card here is that he is rep by Clutch Sports. And if there is an agency that's capable of getting their client what they want, it is Clutch Sports. We've seen it on the player side. Uh, we've seen it with guys on this team, with, with LeBron, AD. Uh, so if there's an agency capable of making it happen, it is Clutch. But it also depends on Nick Nurse wanting to leave Toronto, wanting to come to LA, and, and that being something he's excited about. Uh, with, with Quinn, you know, he recently had his exit interview after Utah's elimination, and, and it again he, he kind of seemed to reaffirm his, his interest in staying in Utah. Uh, now that that has to be mutual, right? And and we'll, we'll see with, with Utah what they ultimately end up doing. With Danny Age being there, you never know. He is someone that is prone to making big bold decisions, and uh, you know it could go in a different direction. They have Alex Jensen, another guy on here who, you know, we might touch on that. Uh, I think, you know, it's similar to Quinn in some ways, a little different in terms of temperament. And, you know, maybe they view him as a rising coaching star who, uh, you know, similar to kind of the, the Ty Lue, Doc Rivers dynamic with the Clippers where they, you know, despite ties, close ties and, and being somewhat of a protege of Doc, uh, the, the Clippers decided to replace Doc with him. Could be a similar situation in Utah, potentially. Who knows? Uh, that, that's pure speculation here. But, uh, you know, th- does Utah want him back? Does, you know, is he looking for a, a new challenge? He's been there eight years. And despite their regular season success, they have yet to make a conference finals. And I think, especially the last three or four postseasons, have, have kind of it's felt like they've underachieved. They've left the postseason with a bad taste in their mouth. And look, Part of that's on Quinn, but I also think part of that is the limitations of having Rudy Gobert, the limitations of their perimeter supporting cast and and all that. And to me, he, he's the clear number two. Beyond that, uh, things get interesting. I think you can make a lot of cases for for different guys. Uh, Terry Stotts, you know, a bunch of elite offenses in Portland. They made a conference finals, though. I, I think that was largely because the, the bracket broke in their favor uh, and they ended up getting past Denver. But, you know, Stotts is someone that I think if you gave him an elite defensive coordinator as an assistant coach uh, and, and really made sure you, you had the right personnel on that end, because that was always a problem for Portland. And, and part of that was roster construction, the limitations of having Dame and CJ as your backcourt. But part of that is also, you know, Stotts, I don't think he's considered like a, a Mike D'Antoni. Yeah, I don't think he's a, an extremist like a Mike D'Antoni, but I, I do think... Uh, based on things I've heard and, and just what has been reported through the years, like 
he is definitely more of an offensive mind than a defensive mind. And I think that manifested in, uh, you know, ultimately Portland being more of an offensive team. And, and you saw them kind of throw in different wrinkles and, uh, you know, really find ways to maximize Dame, to maximize CJ, uh, you know, to, to kind of mimic some of the, the four on three stuff that, uh, Golden State did with, with Draymond with, with using Nurk or you know, Nurkic or, or uh, Mason Plumley, but they never were that good defensively and they were never really able to figure that out. They, they always had that kind of hole on the wing where, where they couldn't find a 3D wing stopper. Um, but Stotts is definitely in the mix. I think right now it, it's probably uh, him, Darvin Ham, and, and Doc Rivers as, as the three top three realistic candidates in some order. Uh, but I think for, for him, if you're going to go with, with that type of guy or, or on the flip side, someone like a Steve Clifford, who, who's a defensive mastermind, you got to have the right offensive personnel to, to balance that. So I think that's really going to be, and that, that would be something that, you know, taking away from the, the Frank Vogel experience that maybe the Lakers didn't have the right offensive counterpart to Vogel and the right offensive mind to create a, a more modern approach offensively and and again you know I, I keep using the word limitations P- part of that is just the limitation of having lebron and the, the offense is going to run a certain way with lebron I, I don't think that uh you're necessarily going to reinvent the wheel with, with him at the helm but i think there were different ways to add in more wrinkles especially with the non-lebron offense you could run things a certain way and i think the lakers could have done a better job with that under vogel uh darvin ham is someone that has been a, a runner-up for several coaching jobs already. And there's a sense around the league that it's just a matter of time until he's hired somewhere. He, he checks a lot of boxes. He has ties to the franchise, was an assistant for a couple of years uh, or a year or two, I, I forget exactly. Uh, former player, which I think with first-year head coaches, because he, he's been an assistant coach for 11 years, I think players tend to respect former players more in coaching positions. Uh, he's also a descendant of the Popovich Budenholzer coaching tree. Uh, by all accounts, you know, good with player development, definitely a player's coach, uh, but also someone who has grown with, with his X's and O's and, and, and learning under Bud. So I think he's someone that would be uh, a really good option. Charles Lee is another one from Milwaukee, uh, eight years as an assistant. And he's someone that uh, did not play at the NBA level, played professionally in Europe. And you know, because of that, I think that that has held him back a little bit of just not having that NBA experience as a player. But uh, he was the runner-up for the New Orleans job. He lost it out to uh, Willie Green, and as we saw, Willie Green, you know, did a great job in New Orleans. But but I also think that probably speaks highly of of Charles that he was in competition with Willie and and you know did lose. But I think he's another one, you know, coming from Milwaukee. Uh, you know, Budenholzer coaching tree that, uh, you know, ha- has, uh, you know, a high IQ, high EQ. And, you know, despite not playing in the NBA, I think, you know, he's only 36, has really worked his way up uh, very quickly. Juwan Howard is someone that has ties, strong ties to LeBron, was a teammate and an assistant coach uh, for LeBron, or teammate with LeBron, assistant coach uh, with him. In Miami, uh, six years as an assistant coach in Miami, and then now the University of Michigan head coach. 
he wants to coach his sons uh, in Michigan. It's his alma mater, obviously, with you know Fab Five uh, fame. So I think this is another one that's unrealistic. I, I do think coming from being at a big program, having success there, having an Elite Eight run, having a Sweet Sixteen run, uh, and then you know also coming from Miami, where Spo is also in that top three, top five. Uh, you know, coaches in the NBA might, might be the very best coach in the NBA, honestly, at, at this point, uh, you know, lear- learning from Spo, I- I'm sure if he was taking an NBA job, he, he would, you know, circle back with him and, and pick his brain a little bit be- before doing that. Uh, I think Juwan Howard is a really good option, but similar to, to Quinn and, and Nick Nurse is currently employed. And I think there would be a, a bit of a hurdle there with, you know, once again, once he's coaching his alma mater, dream job, going to coach his sons, like seems unlikely, but you never know. Uh, another name I like is Kenny Atkinson. And he's someone who, uh, you know, currently Golden State Warriors assistant coach, former head coach of the Brooklyn Nets. He's a player development guru. And at first glance, that, that might clash with the Lakers obvious win now imperative, but the Lakers have several players who need to take developmental steps next season. Austin Reeves, Stanley Johnson, Wenyan Gabriel, Taylor Horton Tucker, Kendrick Nunn. Uh, and I think Atkinson's expertise could be a significant resource on a roster that will need some of these young guys to take steps to help them maximize the potential because the Lakers have, you know, let's say they flip Russ and use their taxpayer mid-level exception. Okay, you're, you're bringing in two, three, maximum four new rotation players that that can help you but even then you, you still have a bit of a hollow rotation and i think if if you can improve the three-point shooting of an austin reeves or a stanley johnson you can improve the off ball you know cutting and screening and, and movement uh and perimeter defense of a tail and Hort tucker uh you know like th- th- those are significant developments that you could help when in Gabriel not foul, uh, you know, 8, 8.8 fouls per 100 possessions. Like you, you can improve those weaknesses. That would be significant for the Lakers rotation. So uh, I also think that Kenny Atkinson being with uh, Teron Liu with the Clippers last year, being with Steve Kerr and Golden State this, this season, uh, you know, famously clashed with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving over playing DeAndre Jordan over not playing DeAndre Jordan over Jared Allen. He was advocating for Jared Allen and saying he should start and he has the higher potential and just the better player. And I think that's something Laker fans will appreciate uh, the not wanting to play DeAndre Jordan. Uh, something that Frank Vogel did not, you know, t- t- took a while to, to kind of realize it's something that Doc Rivers still has not realized. Uh, Bounce around Adrian Griffin, Alex Jensen. I have them a little lower on my ranking. Um, not really for any particular reason, just because I think there's more buzz with with names like Charles Lee and, and Darvin Ham. Uh, I also think, you know, in, in Jensen's case, he's not a former player. So I think that there's a bit of a uh, limitation there. And then I also think he's someone that, you know, he, he went to the University of Utah has passed up opportunities to coach BYU and University of Utah. So again, I wonder, is he maybe next in line for, for the jazz job or is he a package deal with, with Quinn Snyder or, uh, you know, kind of, I, I think there's a lack of clarity there. 
then you get into some of the the retreads with, with Steve Clifford, potentially Doc Rivers, uh, Scott Brooks, Mark Jackson. Mark Jackson's a stay away from uh, for, for me. I don't really want to get into it, but uh, I would just say I would, I would not touch uh, that situation. Scott Brooks, to me, if you want to, if you're keeping, I mean, if you're keeping Russ, I think that's a mistake. But if you're keeping Russ, okay, maybe he makes sense as like a Russ whisperer as an assistant coach, but he should not be a head coach. Uh, I think his his teams you know run vanilla stuff on both ends and just not a very creative coach. Uh, high character guy. I think he's someone that could help a rebuilding team, but that's not the Lakers. Uh, Steve Clifford, again, more of a defensive grinder type kind of diet. Tom Thibodeau, uh, you know, I think someone that could help maybe maximize some of the regular season results, but I I don't know his ability in in a playoff setting. And then last, but certainly not least, though, I I have him low on on my ranking, uh, Doc Rivers. Uh, someone who, uh, well, okay. So the, the Sixers were just eliminated last night and doc went into defensive mode again and was defending. I did a good job. No one had expectations for us, even though the Sixers were the third favorite in the East coming into the season, uh, behind Milwaukee and Brooklyn. Uh, I, I think, Doc has been very defiant this postseason, and I don't know if that's him trying to save his job with the Sixers. I don't know if that's him trying to save his status with the Lakers as as a uh, top coach. Um, But really, I'll keep this brief. Um, You know, I'm someone who covered Doc for his entirety of his Clippers tenure, and so I am very familiar with him. And I would say, aside from the 2019 Clippers, who were, by by most projections, going to be a bottom four, four or five team in the West, uh, they earn you know they overachieved, were an eight seed, took a couple games off the Warriors. Remember they had that crazy comeback at, at Oracle. Uh, but aside from that team, so we're, again, we're going 2019 Clippers. When was the last Doc Rivers team that exceeded expectations in the postseason? It has to be the 2011-2012 Boston Celtics. It was not any of the Clippers teams. Like aside from 2019, like 2020, they blew the 3-1 lead to Denver. Uh, 2014 was when uh, they, they lost to OKC in the second round. I wouldn't say they exceeded expectations. I, you know, and that was also a series that they won game one. Uh, that that was when Chris Paul had the the game five meltdown, which ultimately swung the series. Twenty fifteen, they also blew the three one lead. Twenty sixteen and seventeen, they they had some injuries. Twenty eighteen, they missed the playoffs. So it's like you got to go back a decade, and then definitely not the Philly situation. I mean, Philly lost to Atlanta last year, which they should not have done as. Uh, what a one or two seed? I think think they were the one seed, uh, and then this year, you know, Embiid missed the first couple games, but uh, I think it was clear, e- even with a healthy Embiid, I think Miami would have won that series. It, it might have gone seven, but uh, I think Miami was going to win that series. So, and Doc even basically admitted as much, saying Miami was just a better team afterward. But like, you really have to go back a decade for a Doc Rivers team to exceed expectations, and I think that. Sure. I think he gets good results in the regular season. I would not be surprised if he coached the Lakers next season. You know, they won 50 plus games like he, he does that. 
But when it comes time to making critical adjustments, making the right rotational decisions, uh, and and really galvanizing the team, I just you know the, the message is there when he's got the scrappy underdog and and he's got the the Orlando team or he's got the you know the 2019 Clippers and and it's a bunch of starless role players. But when it comes to these big star teams and, and teams with big egos. Again, like aside from the Boston run, which even then, I think with how much talent they had, you could argue was a bit of a disappointment considering they only won one championship. Uh, like, I just, I don't know. I think that there's some concern there. Um, and that's before even mentioning the three uh, blown 3-1 series leads, which he can spin any way he wants. But then you had him playing DeAndre Jordan when DeAndre Jordan is, is probably, you know, the worst or, or the conversation for one of the worst uh, rotation players in the NBA right now, like might not be in the league next season. Uh, it's just some very questionable decision-making. So th- my thoughts on the coaching search, um, again, if, if Nick Nurse or Quinn Snyder is available, I, I would snatch either one of those up immediately. But otherwise, I think Darvin Ham is the name I'm, I'm looking at that I'm most comfortable and, and confident in. Uh, but Ham, Stotts, and, and, and Charles Lee would, would probably be my three top candidates with, with the current uh, pool of, of, of options. Uh, but, you know, Kenny Atkinson, I, I think, is a dark horse, someone that I'm, I'm interested in uh, potentially. And, and then beyond that, I think you, you kind of get into some assistance with some question marks and, and then uh, some retreads where, like, I'm staying away from Steve Clifford, Doc Rivers, Scott Brooks, Mark Jackson. Like I, I really don't want to touch uh, that group there. But those are my, my thoughts uh, on the coaching search. And quickly, I, I want to touch on some of the stuff that's been out there. Uh, one, the, the growing possibility of the Lakers keeping Russell Westbrook. That is something I've heard, but I, I, I want to <laughs> say that I, I think that would be a mistake. I really and uh, I love Bill Oram. He is my my colleague, my coworker, uh, my my brother on the beat. Uh, but I, I I understand his argument for keeping Russ, but I personally disagree. I think that if the Lakers keep Russell Westbrook into next season, I think there's a couple of problems with keeping Russ. One is I just don't think he fits with LeBron and AD. Healthy or not, like those two guys could be healthy. You could have a better supporting cast. I just don't think Russell Westbrook fits with those three guys. You know, with those two guys, there's very little we saw as a trio. And look, they didn't play 82 games together, but they played 21 games together. And yes, that that was scattered throughout the season, but they were 11 and 10, and there was very little to, to suggest that those three can work together. And Russ's need to have the ball in his hands, his paint-bound nature, uh, like that conflicts with what LeBron wants to do and with what AD wants to do. The Lakers need from that third star someone who can play off the ball, someone who can cut and move, and someone who can shoot, not a ball-dominant player who cannot shoot. So it's just, it's not going to work. It's never going to work. And... You know, so that's one thing. Two, I think there's a larger question of like Russ's self-awareness, his inability to admit that he is on the back nine of his career, that he is no longer an all-star. And also, 
I just think his ability to contribute to a winning team, I think even at his peak, there were certain limitations because of his lack of shooting, but he could over, he could offset that with his athleticism, but his defense and shooting have always been issues, at least since he's become a superstar. And that is always kind of, you know, it capped those OKC teams. I think it, it partially capped that Houston team. I mean, Washington was, was never a contender, but I think there's also going to be a limitation to the Lakers. Uh, again, aside from like the fit not being great or not even not being great, being awful. Uh, I just think there's limitations to how much you can win with Russell Westbrook being a starter, being a prominent part of your rotation. I really think it caps your team's ceiling and drops your team's floor. So, I mean, you have the, the poor fit with LeBron and AD. You have his lack of self-awareness and lack of, of willing to adjust and, and be a role player. You have just large questions about, can you even win with this guy in your rotation at this stage? Uh, and then I think you have a large, uh, another kind of big picture question of like, you need to shape your roster. So if you're keeping Russ going into trading camp with the intention of trading him, like, I, you know, unless you're sending him home and just saying, hey, we're going to trade you at some point, but, you know, until then, we, we don't want you playing. Like, you can't really bring him in and, and shape, you know, shape your team for what you want it to be. And then also be like, well, in the meantime, we're going to have things a certain way because Russ is here. And then once we trade him by the trade deadline, we're going to adjust and become the team we really want to be. Like, that just doesn't really make sense to me. And I, I don't think the team that the Lakers want to be or the team that they would be without Russ is possible if he's there. So again, unless they're just sending him home, which I don't see how that necessarily helps his trade value. His trade value will just increase just getting closer to the, the deadline. Like I understand that line of reasoning, but to me, this is a situation you have to abort immediately. And if it costs you a first round pick, it costs you a first round pick. But unless you are willing to trade LeBron or AD, which I will now get into, uh, I just, I don't see any, I see very minimal upside to keeping Russell Westbrook. I really just, I, I don't, I think there's no indication he's willing to adjust. There's no willing, uh, there's no indication he's aware that he needs to adjust. Uh, there's no indication he's capable of adjusting. And he is a, a net negative. He's a detrimental player right now, uh, soaking up a bunch of minutes. And if he's willing to be a six man and embrace that role and, and uh, you know, do something like that. Like I'm, I'm more open to it, but if, if he expects to be the starting point guard on the Lakers, thinks this is a big three thinks he's still an all-star like I'm out. And, and again, there's no indication that that is not the case. So I'll say this, I'll, I'll go on record saying this. I think if the Lakers keep Russell Westbrook going into next season, they will be in the play in tournament uh, at best because uh, Lakers with Russ Clippers are Clippers are getting Kawhi back. They're better. Uh, Denver is getting Jamal Murray and Michael Porter back. They're better. You already have Phoenix, who's better. You got Memphis. You got Golden State. You got Dallas, who, who's on the cusp of potentially going to the conference finals. Uh, and that's before we even get into Minnesota, New Orleans. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens with Utah. Like, I mean, like, sure, a, a healthy LeBron and AD that that bumps the Lakers up, but we'll, you know. Having Russ, I mean, this to me is a 45-win team. 
and that's better than last year, but that's in the West. That's like an eight or nine seed in a normal year, maybe a seven seed, but they're not going to be in the top six. If they keep Russell Westbrook, I will go on record saying that. And I will be adamant about that. They might not be in the top six anyway, but they sure as hell will not be in the top six. If they keep Russell Westbrook last thing, and I'll keep this short. LeBron and AD should not be traded. Uh, I think it's ridiculous because one, I don't think you're necessarily trading either guy at the peak of their value. You know, I, I think with with LeBron, despite how great he was this season, I think there is a, a ticking time element of just he's 37, going to be 38, going to year 20. We've never seen anything like this. And if there's one player that can continue to defy father time, it is LeBron. I think it's foolish to doubt him, but you also have to be realistic of does he have another, you know, one more elite season left, two more elite seasons left. Like, is he really going to go to 45 as like a Tom Brady? Like, I think he could do it, but how much longer does he actually want to play? And how much longer can he be an elite player? And how much are the injuries going to start to take a toll on him as we've seen in, uh, you know, three of his four seasons in LA. So I think there's a lot of questions there. And again, you know, despite that, that pessimistic take, I'm still advocating for the Lakers to, retain LeBron. And I just, I don't really see a trade out there that makes sense. And with AD, I'm not moving AD unless I'm getting a top 15 player back, because if I'm not getting a top 15 player back, I am, you know, I'm losing top end talent, which is the most valuable thing in the NBA. And even like, let's say like an AD for a Jalen Brown, who is not a top 15 guy, like Sure, Jalen Brown, you know, healthier might might be more available. I like his skill set. Uh, I think he'd complement LeBron very well. But I think my ceiling is lower if I'm the Lakers. And I don't know, maybe you get something back in that trade, uh, you, you know. But and not that AD is going to Boston or, or wants to go to Boston. But I just think like, especially with AD, more so with AD than, than even with LeBron. Like you are trading him, I think at his lowest trade value, and you're not. You're not going to get back the package that you you gave up for him, and to me, it's just I, I think you got one to two more years of this LeBron AD you know contention situation. If that, who knows? Maybe they never contend again. But at, at most, one to two years. So why not maximize it? You know, and uh, again, if you can get you can get Jason Tatum for Anthony Davis, or or you can get. Uh, you know, Devin Booker or something like that, like, sure, I'm interested. But barring a player on that level, I just, I don't think it makes sense to trade him uh, for uh, even like to, let's just say like to Cleveland uh, for like, even for like an Evan Mobley, who I think is really good. And look, I'm I'm a Trojan USC guy. Like I love Evan Mobley. Uh, and I think he's going to be a future defensive player of the year, a future all-star, future all-NBA guy. Uh, like that, I he, I don't think he helps you more next season than Anthony Davis would. And, and I think that that would be a, a sharp decrease. And if you are trying to win a championship in the next 24 months and, and, and help, you know, Rob Palenka talking about LeBron's legacy and, and, it being in the Lakers hands and, and how important that is. Like, I, I think you, you got to go all in. And for me, going all in is adding more pieces around LeBron and AD, not trading one of them away. And 
the notion, I mean, the, the notion of keeping Westbrook and trading LeBron uh, that, that's been reported from, from Phil Jackson is just asinine to me. I mean, it's just absolutely insane. And I, I could not disagree with that more. Um, you know, it, it, keep Russell Westbrook if, if you're trying to be a lottery team. But if you're actually trying to win basketball games, no. Uh, but those are my thoughts on that. Uh, we'll be back next week to talk probably more about the coaching search and, and maybe some developments there. Uh, we'll see what happens with Doc Rivers. He, he's still employed by the Sixers, but if he is fired, I think he will be a top candidate for the Lakers. Uh, I just, again, I, I stated my case. I, I would stay away, but we'll see. He's got the gravitas. He, he's definitely a player's coach, uh, but I think that accountability is great in the regular season, but has yet to really show up in the postseason, especially when he does press conferences and throws his players under the bus uh, and former teams. But that's neither here nor there. Thank you guys so much for listening to the Forum Club. I'm Yovan Buha. As always, you can follow me on social media at J-O-V-A-N-B-U-H-A, Yovan Buha on all platforms. If you're not subscribed to this podcast yet, you can do so at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to like uh, it as well. Leave a five-star review. And if you have not subscribed to The Athletic yet, you can do so at theathletic.com or downloading the app. You subscribe off of one of my stories that helps me out. Uh, So thank you guys again for listening and I'll be back next week.